Hey, everybody, before we start the show, I just want to thank you all for downloading and listening. And I do want to tell you that you can help support us by going to patreon.com slash DVR. If you're a fan of our podcast, you can get everything we do on your own RSS feed. You put it right into your app and you get it. All the podcasts ad-free, you get Old Lost Mythos Theorycast episode, the film list. Man, we got tons of special episodes that we're always doing and throwing on the uh, Patreon. I am a stay-at-home dad. I uh, take care of my son, but I do this podcasting, and it's providing me an opportunity to live a kind of life that is of quality that I always wanted, which is to be with my son and my family, but to also talk about and share geeky, cool stuff and ideas with people. So help support us. Go to patreon.com slash DVR today and become a patron for as little as like, what, three bucks a month, and you'll get like seven podcasts a week. That's a pretty good deal. Go to patreon.com slash DVR today. Today's Daily DVR does Watchmen is sponsored by a presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. And you know what comes out this month, Disney+. Plus. Disney Plus launches November 12th, but Cufflinks.com all month long, 20% off Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars. That's right. You got it. Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars. Man, they got ties, cufflinks, pocket squares, socks, so much great stuff. You've got to go over to cufflinks.com slash DVR. Check it out. Use code Disney Plus and get 20% off your order on Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars. That's right. Use code Disney Plus at cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Welcome back to Daily DVR Does Watchmen. My name is Axel, and my co-host today and every Wednesday is Aaron Otto, baby. Today we're going to be giving you our theories and analysis of Watchmen Season 1, Episode 3, entitled, She Was Killed by Space Junk, written by our showrunner and series creator Damon Lindelof and Leela Bayak, and directed by Stephen Williams. Thank you, Trezo Slim, for our awesome theme music, Full Color. Check the show notes, buy the whole album. He's awesome. Hi, Tito. Become a patron at patreon.com slash DVR. And hello to our newest patron, Tay. And welcome to Gina. Gina, so glad you're listening. OG patron. And if you loved Handmaid's Tale, please go and subscribe to Resisting Gilead. Gina covered the whole last season. It was awesome. I, I was on a couple episodes, DJ Tim Hines, John, a lot of our crew. It was awesome. Now, I want to take us, we're going to get to the show, but I just want to say something. Please give us an Apple podcast review. We got about 14 reviews and I did the math and that's like 0.000, a lot of O's, one <laughs> of the number of downloads. I don't often ask on the air. I say it briefly, but it is important. There's a lot of Watchmen podcasts this year. And if you enjoy what we're doing, if you were an old listener to Lost Mythos, to when we did Leftovers, Mindhunter, Bachelor in Paradise, whatever it was, True Detective, do us a favor. Go to Apple Podcasts. If you have it on your phone, scroll down now, hit that five star, give us a written review. It really does help. Apple has not yet done a Watchmen feature. 
uh, on the on the uh, app, but I think they will soon, and we'd like to be a part of that. So more reviews do help. It lets people know that we're around. So that's enough for me. Thank you, everyone. We really appreciate the downloads. We're doing great. The, the conversation's been awesome. I love it. But there's something that I love even more, and that's the chance to talk to my man, A. Husser, every week. How you doing, Aaron? Hi, Axel. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I lost my voice there. But hi, Axel. How are you today? I'm doing good, man. A little tired. It has been basically the sun did not come out today here in Oregon. So it's a little little, a little of a down day, but I'm getting it up. To Isn't be that most you. of the time, though? Uh, well, you know, in the, in the, in the fall, what happens is usually the sun will come out for about two or three hours from like two o'clock to like maybe four or five, maybe. Uh, but today no sun at all. Oh boy. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm bringing sunshine to the show, baby. (laughs) You are (laughs) my sunshine on a cloudy day. Now I had a great initial reaction with Roger from chat on TV on Sunday. Thanks again to Raj for coming on. He's awesome. We had a lot of fun. Uh, but what were your, this is episode three, man. What an episode. What are your first kind of initial reactions to it? And then let's just get into it. Um, I loved it. I felt like this episode kind of, um, checked a lot of boxes for me in terms of the comic. Uh, I feel like with the first three episodes that we've been given, it, it feels like somewhat of a mirror image of with the comic, how the comic progressed in the sense that we're given the mystery in the first episode. And then we kind of focus on, you know, different characters with each episode, even though they're more people involved. But like the first episode, I really thought it was more about Angela. And last episode, I was, I felt like even though Angela was involved, I felt like Will uh, was actually the focus of that episode, trying to figure out the mystery of who he was. And then this episode is clearly about Lori, who's um, also one of the former um, superheroes of the Watchmen who formed in the 60s. And uh, she was also um, Silk Spectre 2. That's what her um, her hero identity was before the uh, before she turned her uh, mask in, <laughs> I guess yeah. you could say. Yeah. And um, so I just loved I loved how we um, you know we, we saw her character. She's very unique. I, I, I saw a very conflicted person, very mm-hmm. deep, like somebody. She wasn't just a police officer or agent. You know, she is one of the main characters of this show, and it was even though. She was introduced so late. I'm sure there will probably be a couple others that are very integral to the show as well, um, who will be introduced later. Um, so it's it's a little different format for a TV show to have characters introduced the way that this is, but I, I love it. I, I just think it, it was. I think Damon obviously did a great job with this. Um, and then one other thing I just wanted to say uh, really briefly is that I like. You know, I was just thinking about it a little bit ago, and I, I liked how the end of episode two ended and the end of episode three ended. You had the car uh, being lifted in the air. It was Angela's car being lifted in the air with Will in it, and that's how it ended, and her looking up in the sky, like, like you know, with, you know, kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, <laughs> look on her face. And then... And then with Lori, after she leaves a message for Dr. Manhattan, she comes out of the phone booth and then the same car drops right uh, behind her, in front of her, I think in front of her. Did and you, were you sure that that was the, the same car? 
I'm sorry? We, Raj and I were kind of ch- – I wasn't sure that that was the same car. Are you sure that was the same I car? I felt like it was, okay. man. I just – like it doesn't it, – it's it's the same uh, same color and shape. I couldn't – I looked for the license plate. We obviously didn't see it, but I think it has to be the same car, right? Yeah, I don't know. I, I looked at it tw- – I watched the episode twice, I'm so- and, and I looked at – um, it, it it's it's crushed, so it's hard to tell. Yeah, but I thought yeah. that it was a different car, but I'm not willing to fight about. It. Basically, like I think we're saying the same thing, regardless if it's the same car. We're getting a message yeah. here, you know, and it's interesting. Well, and then so she looks up in this, yeah, and so she looks up into the sky and she sees the orange ball of Mars, and then it like flashes. So and then she just starts laughing. So we'll get into that a little bit later, but I just love like how that both episodes kind of ended like similarly but differently, and it was just, it was just a great juxtaposition. And yeah, it, it very may well be that the car that dropped was just a uh, you know a random car to just kind of like make you think about it, but it was really not the same Angela's car. It did seem like yeah. if that was Doctor Manhattan, and that car fell from a very high distance, and there was no ship up there. Uh, seemingly that we could see unless it was cloaked um you know there was a big magnet uh it looked like a clunky probably came from a clunky ship that just pulled it away but you know again who knows but anyway i just love that so sorry to ramble on a little bit but got a little excited (laughs) no no and i think that I mean, I still don't know whether that was Dr. Manhattan. It's like an orange kind of glow. And I, and some, I'm reading some places people are saying she looks up and sees Mars. And that's, I was like, is that what that was? Cause it just looked like a big, it looked like red. It could have been a ship. And so um, this is why I think it was. Yeah. So in the beginning, if you look at the phone booth, you see the uplink trans from the earth to Mars and Mars looks like a small little orange. It's like very yeah. orange. And then when she's looking up in the sky, it's orange, and then it flashes, like, really big. Like, it's almost like – so I did feel like that was definitely supposed to be a representation of Mars. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, because there is definitely conflicting ideas and theories out there of whether that was the same people who picked up Will, and maybe it's this Lady True that Raj and I had talked a little bit about and is mentioned offhand that has purchased – uh, Vites, Ozymandias' uh-huh. company. Yeah. Um, may, but whatever it is, what, at this point, the way I felt about that episode is I got such a leftovers kind of vibe from it that mm-hmm. with the story and the, the car dropping, the brick dropping, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She was calling, it doesn't, it just works so well to me that I want to theorize and stuff. But I also just want to mention that I don't really care even. Like I'm I'm just willing to let this story I tell agree. me. Yeah, because it's just so such beautiful writing. And that's what blew me away watching it again in prep for this uh pod. I was just like, wow, man, the first two episodes were so much geek mythology. What the hell's going on? And of course, that's present in this episode. But really what I was just blown away with is this episode could have been called like the story of a specter. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Or like just uh, like you could imagine an old comic and it's written and it's just about – because it's really so much about her. And it just reflects so much on the original comic. Um, But even if you're new to it, 
you get who she is and the longing she has. I mean, the big blue dildo and all it just, (laughs) there was an article about that. I'll try to put that in the show notes that, um, the director said, uh, uh, was it, no, no, it was the other writer, um, that, uh, she had Lila Bayak had said as a joke in the writer's room, you know, she, she longs for him so much. She carries around like a big blue dildo or whatever. And Damon was like, we're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome that's right? true it's totally Damon, dude he's like we're doing it and i was I like that's that. yeah, just went carries it. it around in a briefcase i was like what the because fuck? <laughs> and it works on this show you know like something yeah. that crazy you think about it and someone's sitting yeah. there watching it and i looked over at my wife when that happens like how far can they go and i was like they just went there and it worked so keep on going yeah, it just showed it just showed her as like a sad uh almost yes. like she had a sad disposition and she was like clinging on to the past and you know, and you saw the picture of Lori takes Manhattan, you know, like yeah. so was, <laughs> she's obviously longing for that sense of belonging yeah. or maybe being important or I don't really think she I mean, based on the comic, if we're just looking at the canon, I don't think she really I mean, she loved John, but she wasn't in love with him because he couldn't really relate to her the way that she needed. Well, I and think that's she why was. She on yeah, you're right. She was in love with him, but then he yeah. grew so distant. And I think that she, the, the, what I got from the comic was that maybe I felt almost like Dan was always her true love. And then she found him later. That's why I was kind of like you, I was kind of surprised at this a bit. I don't. Yeah. I think that's what you're saying because I felt yeah. it was almost like a late, later. I mean, only in her thirties or whatever, late twenties, I guess, and that yeah. later in light love, and then she um, here has kind of gone back to wanting Doctor Manhattan, and maybe it's really just kind of like that high school love. You know what I mean? Like she knows she can never have him. And like Dan's in jail and there's all this stuff surrounding him or we think he is. And, and maybe it's just easier to have this dream, you know, it's easier to be not in reality. Yeah. Maybe it's just the excitement of the whole thing, but it's like, she's almost hiding from herself. And I feel like, uh, her owl who she keeps in the cage covered up called who, uh, is almost representative of who she really wants and who she really is. And she's hiding him, you know, it's almost, it's Ooh, like a, it's a clear metaphor for me. Yeah. And I, like I, I think because night owl, who she loved is not in the picture anymore. It's almost like she's lost all hope. You know, mm-hmm. she's lost. Um, she's become apathetic and she's embraced her roots of being the comedian. She's, um, I, I, just getting right into it, I guess didn't mean to, but I do feel like she's, um, she is a comedian's daughter or she's, you know, become that right. And because comedian, and for those people, you know, you didn't know the comedian because he was in the comic, he was very apathetic. He just said, everything was a joke. He just didn't care. And she's almost taken on that, that feeling, but she's also Dr. Manhattan also was like that for a little bit as well, right? Yes. He became like that. He just became apathetic, didn't care yeah. about the human I guess race. I would say like I would describe it more I don't know I get the definition out like the comedian was a nihilist, like was like 
actively enjoyed the absurdities and the and non conformity. But then at the end, bad. he just I, I think he did change. I no, I agree. But Doctor I would describe Doctor Manhattan as being apathetic. Like he was just yeah. above it all. Like he just yeah. didn't it just didn't register with him until the story of her birth and who her parents were. And that was the thing that registered with him. Yeah. Right? And yeah. now we yeah. see it regi- the way it registered with her is I think your analysis of it is spot on. That's what she's embraced. And that's the nihilism telling the same joke as the comedian told. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I don't think, think that's who she yeah. is. I think yeah, it's I clearly agree. that we've seen some. I hope. Sh- there- I hope. Yeah, I yeah. think there were some symbols throughout um, the episode that show she's not really like that. Although, for the most part, she does show herself. I think she puts on a show. Yeah. And I think that one of the reasons may be the situation that we currently find ourselves in in Tulsa and whether or not she could be involved with what's going on how much the FBI or this anti-vigilante task force, why Keen went and got her, right? Mm-hmm. Why yes. is she reliable? Is it because they've got Dan in jail? Is that the reason why she's an FBI agent? There's a little bit in the PDpedia, um, just oh, about, co- well, just kind of about her putting down the mask and being against it now and changing. And it's all, it's all present in this episode. There's nothing, you know what I mean? You can read that. Yep. And I think it's good yep. stuff, but everything's present in the episode. And I think that um, that's an important facet going forward to trying to figure out her motivation of why she's so sad like this we're seeing is it does she miss Dr. Manhattan? Does she miss Dan? Is it that she regrets the life she had? Does she want to be a masked vigilante again? Look at the way that she's like she's the first person to shoot a motherfucker, right? Twice. Yep, that's right. So that is, yeah, that's yep. obviously not out of her blood. You know, and everybody like, just like looks at her. Even the yeah. FBI I looked at it again. They're just all like in the in the one guy outside or just like Damn, you're fucked up. Yeah. How the fuck did you shoot that dude who probably helped all these people? It's a really complex um, introduction to a character that we know kind as the comic, we know really as a woman who is ignored, um, abused, right? The mm-hmm. bad relationship with her mother that she had. And now she's kind of become more like her mother and like her father. And it's, it's interesting that that change has happened because when you leave off in the comic, you're most attracted and most, I, for me, her and Night Owl were the heroes to me. You know, I felt like they were the ones who were trying to find themselves and actually help people and not control everyone, but wanted to actually try to help the little person if they could. And um, now to find her in this position, unraveling this mystery of how she got there and why with not only the comic, but the remix of it too, (laughs) what happened in 30 years. And then the performance is um the acting performance is smart, yeah. yeah i mean come on this was really one of those special episodes of television 
that people are going to talk about. And I feel like Damon kind of did it again. The first two episodes were amazing and I was in it. But this is where that leftover stuff kicks in. Mm-hmm. And let's see how much people are actually ready for it. Because I don't quite know. I know you and I are ready, Hustler. But mm-hmm. this show is going to do more crazy shit, like more, like more focused and weird stuff. Uh, because like, you know, we go with the, the famous hotel episode and the international spy in The mm-hmm. Leftovers. You can't top that. That's like one of the weirdest hours of television that made complete sense. Yeah, um, it was one of my favorite episodes yeah. ever. It's like da- it's like the ability. Uh, it's like if David Lynch could write something that you watch, and you're like, "Oh, I totally get this," but then you're like, "What the hell is going on?" At the same time, you know, exactly. it, it has that that accessibility with the weirdness. Uh, what did you think yeah. about the joke? I wanted to ask you um, that the joke that she tells. Uh, or not really the joke. So the, she the told story. two jokes, right? Yeah. So, well, but they they blended in together at the end, obviously. Um, so she told the joke about the bricklayer, saying that there is a man, and then he said that every brick has its place. Um, he had a daughter. Um, he was a builder, I guess, and he had a daughter, and he shows her how to do how to build a barbecue step by step. But then the girl found one brick left over, and he freaked out. And he wanted to tear it down and start over again. And uh, the girl said, what if we just picked up the brick and throw it up in the air as high as we can? And she just stopped the joke. Like, that was it. Yeah, but she acts like this. she goes, oh, I messed it up. I messed it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got to start it. And she actually looks like concerned. Because when I watch it, like, she really does look like she's upset that yes. she messed it up and she's nervous. And then she tells the second part. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, and she links it together. So then she sells, tells uh, another joke that's interspersed throughout the middle of the episode. Um, she, I guess, is broken up by each character that she talks about. So she, tell, um, she tells Dr. Man- Manhattan another joke about three heroes whose fate uh, will be decided by God and uh, you know whether they'll be admitted to heaven or be sent to hell. So the first one, she says, Night Owl is too soft and has a big heart. And he's going to go to hell, even though he hasn't killed anybody. And this is where I was also linking. We'll get into it more. But this is where I was linking it to um, back to Lori saying that, you know, she obviously cared about this guy because of his heart. And like, to me, that's who she really is. But she's lost part of it. She's become bitter. Anyway, continue on. Uh, The second one she talks about is Ozymandias. Um, She doesn't name them by name. We just figure out who they are by who their characters are in the comic. Uh, She says the smartest person. Um, he figures out this plan for um, with an alien squid invasion in New York, and he's you know he kills three million people to save humanity, and he thinks he's so smart. And God obviously sends him to hell. Uh, and then Doctor Manhattan is the third person that she refers to, and that he's already a god, and he's pretty much been living in hell throughout his existence. Um, he tells God that I've been living in hell and he equates heaven and hell as being the same thing, basically. And then, um, God still sends him to hell anyway, because he's apathetic or, you know, for other reasons. Uh, and then she comes back with the joke. You thought it was over. 
And she comes back with another part and she says, well, there was a girl behind the three heroes that God couldn't see and he doesn't know. And it's like, how could God not know her, right? That's what I was thinking. Um, And then she says, um, God says, who are you? And she says, I'm the little girl who threw the brick in the air. And then the brick falls and hits God in the head and and smashes his brain or whatever and kills him. Uh, God is dead. And then he goes to hell. And then she says, good joke. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's uh, (laughs) wow. That is some fucking shit. dude. So (laughs) what, what do you, what do you read into this? Um, uh, I, so I guess she, again, just, I don't know. It's, she doesn't really, uh, you know, it's, it's like, there's no point. It's like her apathy is coming out. Um, that everything's pretty much just meaningless. Like that's, I mean, the fact that everybody is going to hell, no matter what you do, whether you're night owl and you're a good person or you're a horrible person like Ozymandias and even God himself or itself, his, herself, whatever is going to hell. And what is hell? You know, it's, it's, you know, that's, I guess that's what the question is. So, I do think that she just has a very bleak look on life and uh, that everything she, the way that she's coming off with this joke is that everything is a joke, even if she doesn't really believe that, which I don't think she does. Yeah. I, I, it's really interesting. I think that's good. Apathy. It doesn't matter what you do. We all end up there anyway. Um, No matter how smart you are, how good you are. The person who doesn't end up in hell, though, is the little girl. Right? Well, I mean. The, the brick falls. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. But then the little that girl so kills God. Up, right? It's very. <laughs> and then she says, uh, and when she says, I'm the little girl. Yeah. It does make sense that the brick in this in this tale is her her story, what we see happened in the original comic. Um, yeah. and the effects of that afterwards is what kind of what she's describing, you know, like night owl goes to hell, even though he's in jail. Right. And yeah. what does she get in the end? Really nothing. She built, what did she build though? She built a barbecue. Uh-huh. Right. Well, Which her is, father built the barbecue. Her father built, well, she built right. Her and her father. That's yeah. the comedian. They built mm-hmm. this bar. What is the barbecue? Is what I was trying to figure out. Is that another? What do you do in a barbecue? You just burn shit. It's like another. It's like another hell, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like a contained hell, maybe. Um, I was just trying to think. I mean, it's absurd. There's definitely an absurdist aspect to this, where the first she ends the first story and then brings it back in the end again which is kind of signaling uh, a nihilistic or apathetic point of view that, you know, human beings are absurd. Our actions are absurd. Our desires, our wants are totally fleeting and really have no meaning rather than just to satisfy us then and there, which is kind of how her father ended up living, you know, and really how John ended up living Dr. Manhattan. And she's the one who's left to pick up the pieces True. in a sense too, right? Yeah. All these men like doing these big things 
And what is she doing? Picking up their pieces, figuring it out for them, mm-hmm. killing God for them, you know, striking that final blow. Uh, it's really, it's pretty deep, man. I'll be thinking about this for, I read a couple articles. I read a couple different people's ideas and listened to some pods about it. I think we're on the same kind of, um, ideas here. I just thought it was narratively, it was brilliant. And the fact that she's in that thing and then she, we, we meet her, right? So it starts off yeah. and she's in the booth. Then yes. we go back to the FBI office or whatever, right? We see the whole that whole um FBI briefing. How weird was that? <laughs> yeah, that was very strange. <laughs> the guy giving it was great, right? Like it was yeah. to, it, that was very this whole it, I I'm just seeing a kind of like a a lot of Lynchian stuff in this. It's very weird. I felt like David Lynch was going to walk out. He's going to be like, "Hello," you know, like like in Twin uh-huh. Peaks. Um but that was so weird. Uh, and then, and then she gets into the plane or whatever. She goes there. Then she's driving to the police spot. And that's when she sees, she looks out the window and sees the booth that yes. she'll eventually end up in. But mm-hmm. we've already seen her in it. And it's just a real interesting way that they, that Set is the whole thing up. Yeah, yeah. But it's also kind of random too. Like we've already seen her in it. They already showed it to it. It's not like that big of a surprise, but then she just sees it as she's passing by. And it reminded me of the time out of sequence stuff, uh, yeah. from the episode, from the, from the, uh, Dr. Manhattan origin story in the comics, which I still am a little bit wary of in this show. Just to say there wasn't as much of it in this episode that there were some things that seemed a little wonky at uh-huh. times, but I, I'm always kind of just thinking, I mean, especially when we get to the Ozymandias stuff. Um, but uh, what yeah, else? I think the car falling. I mean, we know yeah. Dr. Manhattan knows time and all that. So he's he's always seen this and he knew where she would be, exactly where she would be, when she would be. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I mean, so. he could do any – that's why I don't disagree about what it could be that dropped it because that weird light in the sky is totally something that he could create. You yes. know what I mean? Almost to say like – Look how big Mars got for a second. Yeah. I mean, who else would have done that? Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Like, he, but he yeah. can do anything. So it's, it's really possible. Um, was there some other stuff you wanted to talk about? The phone call and the Lori stuff? Uh, oh, the I phone think, system. I mean, I mean, for, if you wanted to talk about Lori and more of her character, um, you know, I, I would say that, you know, going back into the story a little bit, um, it feels like, I guess we would have to talk about some times during the episode where I feel like her good side came out. Okay. So after she was, you know, at the cemetery and she found, um, Angela, you know, looking into, you know, with her goggles on and coming up from the lair, she kind of was pretty mean to Angela. Um, you know, and I think Angela had a reaction to it and I could tell from the look in her face, especially cause you could see the reflection in her goggles that she was up look she looked like she was down or upset and it just i just had the feeling that she knew she did the wrong thing there and she couldn't help herself she, yeah, she couldn't, couldn't get out of her what? own way it's a great I, I hustler i love that you point that out because it was the same thing when she slept with Petey and the look that's what i was just about to say yeah, yeah. you're right yeah. there it's not all 
it was a nuanced portrayal. She wasn't just, it wasn't just the phone booth stuff, which was, God, that was so deep too. And it wasn't just the way she was acting. You know, she was tough in all the meetings and in meeting the police and in the looking glass part. What the hell is this play? (laughs) That was an amazing scene. Um, But she had these moments where it was almost like an aside and you could tell that she was uncomfortable, nervous even, um, Mm -hmm. and just did not want to – doesn't seem to be happy to be here involved in any of this. Yes. Yeah. And PD put in her, put her in her place, um, you know, on the plane talking about, he, he wasn't a fan, but then she ends up sleeping in bed with them and he's got to, you know, he's sleeping with his mask on <laughs> that he was trying to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> perpetrate with, uh, before. So I thought that was funny that she just kind of gave into his fantasy or just, you know, whatever it was. And it, it really showed who she really is. And I, that's who, who I, who we felt she was in the comic, right? Mm-hmm. She's just, I think what she's really longing for and what she's been lacking for a long time is she wants connection. She wanted that with Dr. Manhattan. She wanted that with Dan. She doesn't have that in her life. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do want to say you had in the notes about that. She is a platinum user of blue booth network. Those are the phone <laughs> yep. booths. And that's a great catch because I noticed that too. I was like, oh, okay, she's a platinum user. So does it cost money to do it? And and these booths, are are they all over the country? Is it like one of those things where they're trying Yeah, to- I think they do. And I have, they have credit card symbols okay, uh, cool. near the screen. So yeah, definitely. That's interesting. It's almost like a propaganda thing to soothe the public. Like, don't worry. Mm-hmm. Dr. Manhattan is always going to be here to take care of us, you know, um, even though we haven't seen him. And then they show him – we had talked a little bit about that in the first episode, the quick shot of him destroying the castle and building it on Mars. Yeah. So it's like yeah. they want to make sure that they know that Dr. Manhattan is around. Um, but it's weird too because then when you read the Pedipedia stuff, it's like – they don't know what the hell's going on with Dr. Manhattan. They don't know what the hell's going on with the squid. <laughs> so, That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. They don't yep. know. So it's yep. like nobody knows. So who who is who set up these booths? You know, they exactly. do seem like Is it really a, an uplink? There must be. Yeah. There it's must be weird. something to Mars. You know, did Vite set them up? Was this like a response to after what happened uh, to calm people? Because there was some – I remember reading something about that, that there were some steps he took to try to like calm people. And, you know, and of course they took – but they took away all the cell phones and technology for like a five to seven-year period afterwards because they all thought it was causing cancer from yeah. Dr. Manhattan. So even though that was debunked. Yeah, but he's still this strong presence in society. Yes. It's interesting. How could he not be? Yeah. You know, I mean, he's an omnipotent being that they've never seen in his life before. That's the thing that surprised me about the show is that we have a cult of Rorschach. I thought there would be a cult of Manhattan. You would think so, right? Yeah. I mean, he's like a god. Yeah, he was. You know, you think that this would even have his, his, um, by this point, it would have disturbed major religions. You know, and maybe people would have been fallen off because they see what he can do and, and say, oh, how was this created? Or or claimed him 
as their own. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So, so to go on with uh, Dr. Manhattan, so let's talk about Will then. Let's Who helped it. him? Yeah, I, I don't it's know. That was a night owl, apparently. <laughs> so that yeah. my theory got debunked. I mean, it could have been Pirate Jenny in a different uh, in a different uh, Archie clone ship. It could have been, I mean, uh, mentioned Lady True, who is briefly mentioned and is mentioned a little bit more but, in the Pedipedia stuff as having well, purchased. Who's Lady True then? I mean, because the only information I have is that she bought the only information I've seen in three episodes, and I may have missed something because there were so many subtle things, but that she, it was in this episode that she had bought Adrian Veidt's business and that she, her name was also associated with the network, uh, the yeah. Bluetooth, That's Bluetooth it. network. That's all I know too. That's really okay. all I know too. So okay. it's not an incredible um, uh, more in the, in that additional information. Um, that's why that, like I said, we had talked a little bit before. The Pedipedia stuff is fun and you look at it, but don't worry, folks. You're not like missing everything if you don't You know read. what that it's stuff cool, is? But it's that's just almost additional. like with the original comic, those, you know, the there would be a few couple pages after exactly. most of the – the issues yep. that would just have a little tidbit of information that wasn't really that informative. It may have given a little backstory to a particular character or situation, but in a lot of cases it wasn't that. Um, no, wasn't, it's just, it just rounds yeah. out the world, dude. It's just like yeah. extra world building that if they put yes. it in the show, it would have been an extra expositional scene. And that's what I like that they didn't. So I'm yeah. fine that they just put it on HBO. And if you're a geek like us or like me, you want to look at it, you look at it. If you, like you said before, oh, should I read all this? And then I just looked over it. It takes like two seconds. It's yep. in, it's fun stuff, but it's not going to be like, it's not telling you who did it or what, you know, it's not, it's just like a little additional stuff to kind of round out the world. But that's all you find out is that this lady true is, um, has purchased a and that w also is the aspect of why Vite had to be declared dead for legal reasons, and what and they were looking for him so she could try to buy the company. Who she is, who knows? I would guess that there's some connection that she has to the Watchmen or Keen, the government, somebody, but. What the only thing that I think we need to really know at this point is that she's now like an upper level character, right? Mm -hmm. Of power. Yes. So it's a possibility. It could be Dr. Manhattan. It could be another group that we don't know about, right? It yeah. could be maybe Lori knows. Maybe part of the reason she was laughing is that it wasn't Dr. Manhattan. It was the people who took Will. And she's like, oh, finally, we're in contact now. Maybe that was like, you know what, who knows? So I don't really, I'm not quite sure uh, what that was, who took Will or who the car was at the end, but it's yeah, got me intrigued. I mean, it's, it deepens <laughs> the mystery a little bit more. Like yeah. there, unless it was Dr. Manhattan, I can't think of a person that we, that we never, know of. I mean, yeah. I mean, the next episode could be, you know, I, I still I haven't watched the trailer. I say I'm going to – this week, I think Roberto and I will talk about the trailer on the podcast. I keep on saying it. I think we're finally going to do out. it. Uh, yeah, but I'm, I didn't watch it yet because I know you don't watch trailers either. Um, yeah, well, or I just don't pay attention to them enough. Yeah. I'm not like, oh, what happened in every little sequence? No, I just sometimes I just kind of like gloss over them. It's like, oh, I'd rather just forget, conveniently forget, and then 
be reminded when I watch the show. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. They are the official sponsor for the podcast. And if you're liking the podcast, go over to cufflinks.com, check it out, tell your friends, tell your folks, follow them on Twitter, follow them on Facebook, and use code Disney Plus to get 20% off your order all November long. 20% off Disney, Marvel, Star Wars. They've got ties, cufflinks, tie clips, socks, pocket squares, so much great stuff. You've got to see it to believe it. This is art, people, wearable art. Go over to cufflinks.com slash DVR today and use code Disney Plus now. One of the best parts about podcasting is getting to know the listeners and making new friends. And one of those friends is Andy. You may have heard me mention him before on one of our many podcasts. And Andy and his wife, Claire, are looking to adopt. So if you or anybody you know is considering adoption for their baby, please consider the loving family of Andrew and Claire. They're a home study approved adoptive family of three living on a farm in southern Minnesota with a dog, Barney, and two turtles. They're able to adopt from anywhere in the United States and would love to answer any questions you may have. To learn more about them, check out their Facebook page at Andrew and Claire Adopt or on Instagram at Andrew underscore and underscore Claire underscore adopt. You can also email them at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. So again, if you or anyone you know is considering adoption for their baby, reach out at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. Thanks. Do you want to talk a little bit about Senator Keene? Yeah, I think uh, his character is a little uh, interesting. There's a f uh, few things. Uh, we got a little context for the history um, behind uh, the, the masking of the, the cops with the Defense of Police Act or DOPA, which is uh, where he makes quite a few jokes <laughs> in this episode. She do definitely takes on um, the errors of her father. Um, she is always cracking good one-liners. So uh, Tulsa, uh, you know, we find out from the episode that Tulsa is the only city where the masking of the police officers is currently being used. But he said to Lori that many other cities want to jump on board because they're having issues. Apparently, uh, he, he seems to he seems to act like they all or just can't can't wait to get it the way you know the way he acts about it. Um, and uh, he thinks he tells Lori that he thinks someone is trying to start a war in Tulsa, or is he trying to start a war to make a profit off it, um, or profit from it, I should say. And uh, he also dangles releasing, as we um, spoke about before, Night Owl's award if she helps him in this investigation and he becomes president. Said he would, you know, help help him get released. So that's where we find out that Night Owl is probably in prison. Um, and he also calls the Seventh Cavalry terrorists, but he okay. So I guess we need to. I guess we would need to talk about the funeral incident a little bit, right? Yeah. Um. So I felt okay. I. So maybe you want you want to like give a little background on the funeral quickly, and then we can get into what we. Yeah. Think. Well, I mean, I think with the some of the important aspects are we see all of our main characters, including now uh, Lori, who has joined them. Uh, in a procession, there's some protesters outside. As they enter, everyone has to give up their guns, but Lori keeps her gun. Um, we be the funeral begins. Lori first approaches Angela and her family, and they're already kind of uh, 
their meeting is sour to begin with. <laughs> Though mm-hmm. Lori tries to be nice, Angela ain't in the mood for it, which I always love. She's she's not in the mood for it all the time. Yep. And yep. um then the funeral begins and Angela starts singing this song that I guess Judd wanted her to sing and probably part of it is the joke, right, to make her sing at the funeral which would yes. embarrass her, which I think is kind of cute and which is why she's – and that alone was so touching. And you're wrapped up in that touching moment and then all of a sudden we're underground. We see a guy with a Rorschach mask. He comes up into a mausoleum, puts on a um, an explosive vest, steps out, tells – with a gun. Of Now we're like, oh, nobody has a gun, right? That – no, yep. that's convenient. Yep. He grabs Keen. He says, I just want Keen. It's like such a prepared thing. And Keen is like, I'll go, I'll go. You know, <laughs> yep. Yes, take me. I'll, I, this will not stand, you know. And then yeah. Lori just shoots the Rorschach, uh, uh, clansman in the head. And barely when he's finished speaking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't even give him a chance. And <laughs> he just ends the joke. <laughs> and Keen, yeah, ends the joke. That's a good one, right? Like Eric and yeah. And Keen looks completely shocked. But also kind of annoyed a little for, yes. a, second. <laughs> for a second. Yes. Looks yeah. annoyed. So I think this whole Seventh Calvary thing, the guy coming up, nobody has guns. I mean, uh-huh. this just seemed like a setup to me. It, I, I know that did to you too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I felt that. I felt it was just, he was just using this. Like he would have found one way or another to use this to his advantage. Yep. Either um, they would have. You know, cops would have, the mass cops would have, you know, rescued him or he would have, uh, single handedly, um, you know, uh, taken care of this guy and, and shown to be a hero, you know, and it, it boosts his national image. And so then uh, the other thing I would mention is that, um, later in the episode, after it was nighttime and right before Lori goes and sees Angela at the mausoleum, um, he's out in front with reporters and they, like they're all in his face and he, he's just soaking up every minute of it. Um, and he, you know, they're asking him different questions, you know, about, you know, what is that Russian, uh, field and int- intrinsic field generator or whatever, yeah, <laughs> which is kind of a, jo- a joke from the, uh, you know, it's kind of a joke from the comic, which is uh, funny. Um, disintegrates things. Anyway, uh, yeah, I felt that he um, he used that incident uh, for publicity and to push his police program, which will help boost his image nationally. Yep. Yeah, and it's, um, I, I like that we're now starting to understand this better, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't quite understand who – Whose idea were the masks? Why, where was it? Now we understand. It was his idea. He's a senator. It's a pilot program. It's part of his presidential campaign as well. His dad was the guy who introduced the Anti-Vigilante Act, right? He yes. has ties to um, to Judd's family. There's a uh, – again, to mention a Pedopedia, there's a short little letter there from its – from his – grandfather i believe to like judd's dad or grandfather about the painting from the second episode it's kind of interesting um but he doesn't seem to be as like as he's not positioning himself as conservative as like nixon but he's positioning himself way less liberal than robert redford 
who I hope we yeah. still see in this series. I got to think that Damon at least tried to call Robert Redford. Um, or is he more like a Nazi you know, that's like once I have a police state almost, you know yeah, what I mean? But I don't he, know. But, but, by the, but by the way he's presenting himself and the speech he uses in when he's being interviewed – um, like right after, and he's got the blood on his, which was very reminiscent of so many assassinations we've seen, you know, yeah, and, you know, and, and the blood's on him. It seemed to me that he was trying to take a more playing to the widest base at this point, but a strong law and order vibe, definitely, you know? Yeah. And, and you have to think that, okay, so if the seventh, if, if this was somewhat set up with the seventh Calvary, some of Calvary or, you know, they basically show as a guy who was given the briefing in the beginning of the FBI briefing, they're basically just, you know, um, the KKK yeah, they, with yeah. different masks. No, I think he is that way, but I think yeah. he's positioning that's himself what I'm as moderate, yeah, that's, right? Yeah, that's, yes. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, so I think that, agree. you know, he's, he's a part of this, uh, this seventh Calvary and it's, it's, it's just great storytelling. I, I think without stuff. a doubt that he is connected to them. I think not only connected to them, but pushing their actions. So his pilot program seems more needed and more necessary yes. and more, and maybe more successful. I mean, even that little Nixon town where the people live seems like almost like just weird to me. You know what I mean? Like you'd, oh, by the way, there was some dude on uh, the Watchmen Facebook Nixonville. group, yeah. Nixonville, that was an extra in there. And he was, uh, I wanted to try to ask him, maybe he'll write in. I'm going to write, uh, ask him to give us a little set report if he can. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, it's all, it seems very all set up politics. And I think it's so interesting that they're doing it, but it does beg the question. It's like if Angela knows that, Judd, had she never talked to Judd about that or does no, like, was their connection not as apparent? Because his wife is like the head of his campaign staff or something like yeah. that, you know? So yeah. did Angela never talk about that with her? And I just, there's so many questions I have about how people relate to each other in this world now because it's so crazy. It's even crazier than our political world. That is, and that's saying a so, lot. It is. It's really <laughs> you know, insane. So I, I, it, it, even though we learn about Keene and the defense of police, and I understand now, I get it. Okay. Cops all over the country are not like this. This is just here. This is, and it, it gives us a clue too of one question I had from the beginning is why is this set in Tulsa? Now we know it's part of the reparation things too, right? It became yeah. a haven for people to come to. And because of that, massacre um they focused there and gave out land and money and then they have this pilot program so it's obvious that this is all political machinations uh mm -hmm. and keen seems to me to be to benefit greatly from what occurred at judd's absolutely absolutely and he doesn't really seem that upset about judd being gone no. but what do we know we, we only see a few flashes of him so yeah. i guess we should take a little uh you know um take stock in who is actually who we think is in on this and who's good and you know we don't have many characters to deal with but i was thinking as we're in the show right now that looking glass may may actually be a good guy or he might be on the fence yeah i'm, I'm you know i'm getting that 
Um, I mean, obviously, there's that Rorschach obvious connection with the mask and everything and kind of the way he tries to tell, like, lie from truth. Yeah. And Rorschach was so black and white. And, yes. And um, we had him being suspicious of Angela, but that might just be good detective work. You should be suspicious yeah. of everyone. And she was close to Judd. Um, uh, you know, but I initially I, thought I kind of agree with you now. After this episode, there were just some vibes I got where it was like they're definitely one episode. They're trying to make you feel like he's bad or he you might not trust him. Then the next, you're not quite sure. But I don't know. His the Red thing, Red Scare is a pig, though. Forget him. <laughs> he's uh he's definitely he's. We'll just go with the mob, it just seems like. Um, yes. The pirate Jenny, we don't really know enough about her, but she could go either way. Yeah, she and, seemed to have um, a connection to Judd. They were up there flying together. Yeah, so then my question uh, would then be, Is Judd, was Judd in on this? Was he sacrificed? Was he killed by Keen or, you know, the 7th Calvary um, for this, you know, bigger setup? Was he in on it? You know, like, I I definitely question that now, Judd. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Is he really dead? Well, that's true. We didn't see his body when uh, <laughs> when the coffin exploded, but. And there was, yeah, they I made mean, a it could be a clone. Of saying you know, in this world. They made a point, Lori made a point two or three times there was no autopsy. It wasn't yes. necessary. Yes. So is Judd dead? Is he not? Is this a sacrifice in the comic? There was a there was a conspiracy to stop war by creating a mass his, a mass uh, massacre in New York, right? But it was to mm -hmm. stop world war. Is Judd sacrificing himself? Is there a conspiracy to to stop war to stop war by creating war this time? Are they are they a like we've been talking about, I don't know are they if it, trying yeah. to get these two sides to battle each other in order to settle it finally? Or is it just that they are a bunch of white supremacists and people who want to control and be, and turn America into a police state? There are those people. <laughs> you know? So yeah. Yeah. that's, I mean, I don't, you know, it could be as, as simple a conspiracy as we're seeing, which is the Calvary and Keen and working and Judd was a part of it. And this is kind of where they're pushing us. Um, but I feel like we haven't seen a whole nother part. And I also still I think we know so little. We only know about the Calvary from the perspective of the cops and our heroes. I'd like to see, I'd like to see, we, we're not getting any like keen meeting one of the Calvary guys behind a play. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So they're just masked people right now that we know they're racist. They're terrible. They're bad. They're terror, terror, they're terrorists. Um, they don't like the current government or the police or Angela, our hero, but. And we know so about some of their motivations, but we don't get scenes with them. We don't get insight into them. So I feel like that's purposeful. And perhaps we'll find out that there's more there than we thought there was, you know, because that yeah. was the big part of Watchmen too, is like the conspiracy never really is what you think it is. Or it could be the complete opposite and not matter. 
maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe they're just they're a device that are being used by the various that, players. And that is you know? a that is a thing. I mean, it does it matter. Be, you know yeah. what I mean? But like, they it doesn't may. matter who they are. Maybe the, the larger story doesn't. Totally true. You're right, Ahas. We might never get that. And what they are is what they are, right? Yeah. And that's what we're seeing, and that's all we need to know. But I just find it um, interesting. Yeah, Looking Glass, the are the heroes, the cops. We didn't, we haven't gotten to know any other cops. You know, that cop that was shot. We met his wife in the first episode, and she had some opinions that seemed to go against the cops wearing masks, and she didn't seem to try, like Judd that much, or yes. think he kind of had a cult of personality. You know, in the in the police force, but besides that. I don't know. And like I say, Keen has not said or done anything that makes us think that he's with the cavalry, but this does seem like a setup plan and he's yeah. in with Judd's wife. So Yeah. Either it's a setup plan or he took advantage of the situation. Yeah. One of the two. Either way, he is a slick guy. Yeah. And it's clear he's uh he's not the hero in the story, <laughs> if there is one. <laughs> um yeah, so I guess the other big thing. Oh, can that I we say need to one more about- thing? Can I say one more thing? Sure. Um, I do also want to say though that with Keen, because we know his dad was linked to that anti-vigilante legislation, and also to the fact that he's the one who goes and gets and goes and gets Lori, yeah. right? Like he's a senator, and he goes and gets her, and they have this close. He, they seem to have known each other already. And there's a connection there, so he could perhaps have connections to Ozymandias, this lady true, even Dr. Manhattan, that we don't know about. So I just want to mention that. So uh, I need to go back into the story, but did I'm just trying to get the the exact timeline of the events. Now, did Lori have the briefing before Keene, or did Keene come before the briefing? Uh, if I remember correctly, the briefing was before. No, the briefing was after. She met him. Okay. Then she had the br- uh, Okay, the meet, that would the make briefing, sense. But if it's the other way around, said, then Keaton. it's like. Yeah, because she already knew she was going. That's Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. That's that's good to know. Um, yeah. Did you want to add anything else? No, no. Okay, so let's uh, let's get into Ozymandias. Yeah. You want to get the rundown of that? <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, well, he tries to send a guy up into space, it looked like to me. Um, I mean- Is that he, what you thought? Yeah, he creates this- He uses leather, which may be the dead skin of all the other clones he's killed. Because remember, he says, put him in the basement. I'll have use for him later. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I, like I think this. that's what the leather was, dude. Uh huh. Um, and he makes a cool ass suit for him with the also the the um the helmet of a uh of a knight, right? That yeah. was cool too. And then he like starts, I guess, pumping air into him. But then he ties a string to him. <laughs> He's got like a rope. Yeah, a rope. Yeah. And then he comes and back. He starts the next, walking away. Yeah, yeah, he walks away and he comes back the next day, and he's frozen. Where is it the next day. It's what's that? Is it the next day? I that's a good question. How, <laughs> how far could along? have been a minute, or it could have been yeah. A day, because you know? in yeah. in in the in interspersal of that, we see 
them uh, give him another cake, and the cake has three candles on it now. And each of the episodes, the cake has had the first episode, the cake had one candle. The second episode, the cake had two candles. Third episode, the cake has three candles. Interesting. I didn't notice that. Yeah. And um, this time he doesn't even want to deal with the cake. He just quickly like blows the – they kind of do it. He blows the candles and he gets back to work. But maybe it was – it seemed to me that maybe it was the next day, maybe it was longer, but when he was frozen like that and the outfit that he had on, I mean, are they, is he living somewhere where the, where the world just turns and he'll just fall? <laughs> like, <laughs> the gra- you know, he'll just go down and go into space or it, I mean, it's yeah, it doesn't me, seem like there's any technology there. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know if he was trying to go into space. I don't know what he was doing. I mean, to me, you have this. Um, then he needs, he needs, uh, so he realizes that he needs better, thicker skin for this, right? So the human yeah. isn't going to do. He needs an sense. American buffalo. So yes. he gets on his horse, he rides over, and he finds an American buffalo in the middle of Wales, or wherever they are, right? Um, and. But he sees like a pirate insignia. Interesting. Yes. Look, Black Freighter, anyone? Mm-hmm. Um, also, in this episode, there is a hotel called the Black Freighter Inn. Did you notice that? I missed that part. I think it's a hotel. Okay. There's a sign okay. really quickly. Black Freighter Inn, Pirate Jenny. Maybe that's where Oris did. What's, yeah, I think it was. Okay. And um, But would make sense in world because the Black Freighter is a famous comic in this world. Yes. Um, and uh, he – so he shoots the buffalo with an arrow, a beautiful shot too, perfect shot right through the eye. And before he can do anything, there's some gunfire. He looks up. There's a piratey looking kind of weird person on a horse. Yeah. And he – ri- a mask. A mask, yeah. And he rides away. Then he gets a letter. Uh, his servant comes up and she presents him with a letter and it's a strongly worded letter, um, that from the game warden saying that he violated the agreement of his captivity. And if he continues this behavior, he will face grave consequences. Then we get him writing a letter back to the game warden. <laughs> yeah, I love that. He's I like, loved it. Prepare. Crush eggs. Yeah, crush eggs. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, he's getting into it. What Jeremy Irons is something else, man. I know, man. You know, this episode really showed him off, too. Dude, he's one of those people that you're like a gift. You know what I mean? Like when people use that term, I don't normally use it, but it's like everything, you know, he's just, that's quality. You yeah. know, you're going to, and you kind of forget Always. Jeremy Irons is in this show. You know, because he's there by himself. Um, and he's been prevalent throughout. Yeah, it's just, it's great. Um, so he writes the letter to the game warden, or Crosshanks does. And uh, it's such a great letter. Um, and he, say, he doesn't like his accusations that he was up to something criminal. They're unfounded, and we must meet in person. At the end of the letter, he announces who he is. He is Adrian Veidt. He's Ozymandias. We see him put on the old costume from the comic. Um, it looks great. And uh, and what does he do? He just kind of – I think we just see that and then we cut. Yeah. I mean, I think he told – before he put on his costume, he told them, the uh, servant, to grab the, the – to get the horse ready and yes. his bow and arrow ready, I think. So where they go, I guess they're going to go. Oh, and he also – the game warden refers to him – 
refers to it as captivity, the yes. agreement of his captivity. So this is kind of some stuff we've talked about before. Is he, he seems to be trapped there. It's a weird place. Tomatoes grow on trees. He's got clones. He's typing naked while he's massaged. Now there's a game warden and pirate stuff. He's and, doing a play. He's performing yeah. a play. In his, and his guys house. going into space, or are they into space? Or what is his experiments? What is even going on here? There's thing. I've been looking at some pictures of things appearing and disappearing in the background of shots and and a lot of um, like globes and interstellar like thing like uh what do they call them when it's when it's like almost like a the globe of the universe you know that are in the background of a lot of shots what do mm -hmm. you think about this i think it's absolutely insane uh, <laughs> i mean i mean so I, that's the obvious point of course it's insane um i think it the, what makes it insane though is all these things are happening and it just seems like there's no technology whatsoever um, we see a suit, but we see him like pouring oil into something or making some kind of like oilish concoction. Um, he's doing some drawings. Uh, you know, they're using a typewriter. Um, there's just nothing. There's no technology involved. I've seen no technology on the island at all. What, so I would think that his experiment would have something to do with him getting out of his captivity. What is, mm. what is his purpose at this yeah. point? Is this just, is this real? Does it matter? Is it, is it going to be real to the overall arc of the story? Or is this kind of some, just kind of side thing uh, that like the original comic had with the, um, the black freighter? Is this just like a comic within a comic? You know, is this just like another story within the, the main story that maybe has no real bearing on the overall show, but is just a separate entity and we're dealing with Ozymandias as a character? Um, so that's, that's, you know, and I was thinking, does this have some relation to the Nova Express publication, you know, because the Nova Express publication is kind of linked to that, that extra comic, the comic within a comic in the Watchmen world. Yeah. So I don't know. That was just a thought I had at the last mm. minute, but I don't know if that has any bearing and who is this captive? Why would he agree to captivity? Why would someone keep him captive and allow him to do all the things he's doing? And is the like, game warden real or is the game warden a clone? You like, is the, I, you right? Yeah. Who's the game yeah, warden? Yeah, that's true. The whole thing is now we've been talking about some things. Roberto and I last week kind of went back and forth. I'd like to hear your opinions Hit on me. the, uh, the general ideas that people are bandying about now are this is either after, you know, you have the basic one. This is either after the events of our, of what we're seeing in Tulsa or before the events of Tulsa. Is he in captivity because of what he did in the comic and the subsequent, it didn't work out so well as we find out. Um, with him losing his company and him betting a lot on the technology of Dr. Manhattan, but then that being recalled. And, and so he lost his company went almost went under. Then it's sold. He goes into hiding. Is that why he's in captivity or is he in captivity because he is involved in what the other story we're watching? And this is actually takes place after and is going to begin a new story is actually the continuation 
or is this happening before the events and will then at some point come into line with them and he'll become a part of and interact with the rest of the characters? Or it's just a separate thing like the Black Freighter, like you said, and it never corresponds. It's just thematically interesting and resonant. Yeah. And just another story within the story that I don't know. Yeah, is fun. I don't know. Either there's some people say, is he trying to recreate Dr. Manhattan? He dresses, the, he dresses up the butler as Dr. Manhattan. He, he does the whole play. Now he's doing experiments. Is he trying to, is that what he's doing? Is, is he, maybe he's trying to become Dr. Manhattan. I don't know. What, who's, is, we assume that the only person who could keep him in captivity would be Dr. Manhattan. And you would assume so because he is the smartest guy, right? Yeah. So we'd figure out a, a way. Who else has him that. in captivity? Does this, is this lady true that bought his company? Does she have him in captivity? Either way, I find this whole thing to be utterly fascinating. And every time he comes on the screen, you know, this could have been. I mean, I never thought of, of course, we knew we were going to love this show kind of coming in, but mm-hmm. you, you suspect this could be like some people be like, Oh, what's this boring part with the guy? But it's so freaking weird mm-hmm. that I'm like captivated. Even on multiple viewings, I'm like, what the hell? Everything about it. They're putting so much into the costumes too and the set decoration, especially in these scenes. I love it. <coughs> yeah. I, w- I would say my initial reaction would be that it would have some bearing on the story and and like you said it may the time of it may not actually matter because as we know in dr manhattan in time like you know the the past present and uh future are all exist at once so maybe it doesn't really that's why i'm getting it's damon too dude yeah so you know when roberto and i were talking about i was like is he desmond and then we're going to pop the hatch and find <laughs> out he was there the whole time. I like that. Yeah. Right? Like, is nice. are, are, are they going to be walking along in Tulsa and Angela and a couple of people, are they going to go into one of those booths and they're going to open a door and they're going to walk in and there's going to be a cat. They're going to look out in the field and see a castle and they're going to be like, oh, it's bigger on the inside. You know, like what's mm-hmm. going on here? I don't, it could be anything. And I, I love that. I know. I just love talking about it and thinking about it. It's fun stuff, dude. Um, so let's many, see. We talk so about- many possibilities. What other show can make you think like this? I don't know one on television. Maybe there are a couple, but I don't know of one. No, I don't know, man. Westworld. Westworld's pretty fun. It's getting yeah? it's getting okay. in that puzzle puzzle length. Okay. Um, okay. I like that. I'll, I think I'll we have went- to check out the second season, which I've been waiting to watch. Oh, yeah. You'll love it, dude. It's a lot of fun. Um we got, let's see what else we had in the notes. We went over the funeral scene. Um, oh, that was Gene Autry, the last roundup. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So Angela sang the song that Judd wanted her to sing at the funeral. And some of the lyrics actually talk about Custer and Kit Carson and Buffalo Bill. I guess that he's going to go meet them in the sky. And so it just made me think of the Battle of Little Bighorn and again another reference to mm-hmm. this. And I felt like it might have even been like a call out to people that, you know, maybe oh, there were some even cops like there. A hint. I don't know. I I thought it was very interesting that he picked that song with those lyrics and how can he not be a part of this? 
Yeah, that's what, but I, I get the feeling, this is the feeling I get that if Lori or Judd is involved, that they don't want to be or that they are. Yeah, that could be Judd. Yeah, they're not being, Lori, though. they have no choice. They're yeah. put in a position where they had to be. I just, because I just get that even when I, when I, I rewatched the first episode and I was just trying to watch. Don Johnson, he's just nervous the whole episode. I mean, I know bad shit was going down, but like doing the coke when when they were having the family, yeah. it was just there was something off the way he said TikTok. Yeah, the way he said he was going to take the the police, you know, the with him, but he didn't. I don't know. It was that was some good stuff. Um, oh, I oh you had a note. I like when um, when Lori says to Angela like. Um, so uh, he's like about judge. He's like, I know you weren't fucking him because your husband's fine as hell. <laughs> yeah, right. That was great. She's always doing the, dropping those lines, and that was like the most inappropriate place to do it. Yeah, I know. He not only was like Judd, but it was just like, oh god, man. Yeah, that was yeah. Uh, that was kind of cool. And that shot too, when they come back and you see Laurie through the goggles, which are like night owls goggles. Yes. That was a great shot. I also want to mention each episode of, uh, and I mentioned this with uh, Roberto, each episode so far has had a split diopter, diop, I can't pronounce it, diopter shot, Ahus, where there's multiple focus, there's a d- dual focus. In this mm-hmm. one, it was when Keen was in her apartment and she turned the faucet on. Okay. Um, there was one, the last episode with the pills and will, and the first episode was a picture on Judd's desk and Angela in his office. But it, those are interesting shots that they're interspersing throughout. Is there anything else that you wanted to kind of, there's some other notes you had? Um, no, I think we, uh, just one other thing. I, I do remember it's just a very small little thing that, um, when the FBI director was given a briefing, he said there were three survivors, and uh, so the, we know that two of the survivors, you know, from the White Knight Massacre um, were Judd and Angela, and I was just curious because they said three. It's like, okay, you're dropping on information. It could have just said uh, a few survivors yeah. or maybe it was just a couple, but who's the third survivor and does it matter? Yeah, and Did it's not her husband. It wouldn't be her husband because he was making reference to police. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's good. That, that was a nice little info dump there Mm -hmm. to, to kind of go over that information. It could have been him. Oh, Hmm. it might have been Wade. Maybe. I don't know. Um, masks save lives. Yeah. Oh, the, you mentioned that too. The millennium clock. What is the millennium clock? Yeah. I mean, we have to assume that has something to do with, uh, 2000, right? Um, Maybe it's turning, I mean, even though it's well, a long time before, it was almost like it was a relic or like a world's you know, fair countdown. thing, right? Yes. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. cool. And, and remind I, I felt me, like that was a good oh. way for them to to really bring up Lady True. Yes, I definitely, and I think we're going to be finding out more about her. Remind me again about the intrinsic field generator. So. Okay, I think there was some reference to it in the original comic that the Russians were working on this, like when they were still at the peak of the Cold War, that they were working on a device called a Russian intrinsic field, you know, it was an intrinsic field generator. Um, and I think there is some science behind this, but it's not, you know, hypothetically. 
um, but it's basically something that would disintegrate particles. Oh, I that's, think is okay. basically what I got. I could I could be messing that is up a little that, bit, but see, when I heard that, it made me think: Are they trying to create a Doctor Manhattan? Is this part of yeah. the experiments that led to Doctor Manhattan? Because because I'm not quite sure what an intrinsic field generate. I don't even know. That sounds like a Star Trek fake thing to me. I don't yeah, it that's does. Right. That's what I thought too. And then I looked, I looked it up, and there, there, it may not be called, but there's something like I was looking at a Scientific American article. I don't really get that far into oh, okay. it, but um, it's just something along the lines of where it can like destroy particles, or I don't know, maybe recreate things from that. I don't know. But if you if you uh, if you listeners out there have any more information on that, please send that in. Yeah. Love to see it. Man, I wish these episodes were like three hours each. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then <laughs> I, I don't. Because <laughs> I, I like it being split up. I wish there were just more episodes. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, I, you know. Hey, I know we started talking in the beginning where, and in the, in, in before the first show dropped, Damon was like, maybe it's just a season. Maybe we'll just do a season. But um, the more I watch this, I'm like, that was so Damon just being Damon. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And because honestly, look, there is something that I thought about in regard to that. And that was a situation he got into with the hunt that he wrote with Nick Hughes and how that was pulled out of theaters because there was a backlash both from, from everybody. People didn't like it because they thought it made right wing look bad, left wing look bad. Then the, then freaking President Trump said something about it and mm-hmm. made it worse. And then they pulled it. And nobody has seen it. So maybe Damon was a little bit, you know, he's a human being and this is his work. This is his life, right? Maybe he was like, I don't know what the response is going to be. And if we get in, if something like that happens, there might not be a set. Maybe he just didn't, you know, but I I, I, I really, I really am pissed about how Damon has been treated by people in uh, social media and by these politicians or whatever. He's an artist and should be allowed to express himself, period. I don't uh, well, care what it's about. You know, you know, I agree with you, brother. And I, and you know, yeah. we're, we're definitely DJ Tim Hines told me that we should mention Damon a little less on this particular podcast. And I told him to go to hell. <laughs> yeah, baby. Damon for life. <laughs> no. I said, I said, I, I think my exact quote was, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's like, here's the thing. I don't really worship Damon, but I kind of, I, I worship his creativity and his, 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 and um, willingness to take yeah. leaps, to yeah. try things, to go beyond the normal scope of imagination. That, yes, and, uh, that is what – thank you, Ahas. Take a leap. That is what always pisses me off. And we're at the end of the show. We can talk about this. Um, yeah. When people get mad about season six or they say the first season of The Leftovers was too depressing. And I just – I, I uh, there's a lot of people – and actually, Justin Thomas, just uh, from Fandom 3 and all that, just – was texting me and he was like, wow, I watched, this is really deep, man. He's really, and then I listened to the pot and I was like, yeah, no, no shit. Sherlock. This is (laughs) what I'm, this is what us fans are trying to tell you is that you think game of Thrones in George R. R. Martin, he killed everybody at the red wedding. Oh my God, dude, come on. Damon will move a planet on your ass. Like that's nothing. Straight up. 
like this is the concepts that he's trying to deal with and people fault him for Prometheus. Well, at least he went there, dude. He went to try to figure out human beings are brought here by another. Uh Like, come on. He went all the way back. This is what he always pushes it. And he might not always hit the mark for everybody, but I always appreciate that the dude thinks and he wants you yeah. to think and he wants you to feel and he's tr- expressing himself and being creative. And I, and I don't think he, and I think he always has a good, well, I shouldn't say he's learned because I think there were some things with lost where they weren't able to complete what they wanted to when it was in network situation, but with leftovers in this, he's all able to do all this crazy stuff, but still ground us with deep human characters emotions and just really interesting plot that's right so yeah you couldn't you couldn't put it any better than what she just said so thank you so i love it and we do we and of course he's from new jersey so and so is george rr martin so you know what people I'm from New Jersey. Aaron went to Rutgers. He, Just don't follow the Jets. <laughs> fuck you. Aaron is Aaron is a is a. I'll give him his New Jersey card. He lived in Jersey long enough to get his Jersey card. That's all right. How many years did you put in? Like fifteen years, twenty years in Jersey? Yeah, no, I'd say with college, I was five. I'd say probably about sixteen years. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, man. Yep, yep. Sixteen. Almost years. longer than Pittsburgh. Almost. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. So that I'm glad that people are getting into it and it is really fun for me to, um, read stuff and on social media when people are being nice to each other, where people are like, wow, this really is great. This is really cool. And I'm like, oh man, it's good to see people jumping in on it and enjoying it and just enjoy the ride. And I'm glad too that this episode. You know, I mean, obviously the first couple episodes and there, the, the racial components of this, um, there was kind of, I think a fear from Damon, from probably HBO for, oh, you know, people who are not super leftist Robert Redford, who wouldn't vote for Robert Redford, aren't going to watch the show. And it's quite the opposite. I'm seeing people from all political spectrums enjoying the show and also enjoying the way it's dealing with what would happen if they took away guns, what would happen if they did this or, and Nixon took Vietnam as a, you know, like I think it's keeping people interested and activating the mind state and making them think and making me talk to people I might not be talking to. That's right. That's right. And that's what Lost did. So that's why I love it. I'm all about it, baby. Yeah. I think that's all we got. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, dude. I was so good. I didn't talk as much this time, did I? Until the end. No, you were good. No, that was a great show. (laughs) Definitely. I got in everything I wanted to say. So awesome. All right. Um, Thank you, everyone, for downloading and listening. If you can give us a review, Please do it. I hate begging, but it really does help. And I'd love to see us have like 50 reviews up in there. Um, I'm going to be back on Friday with Roberto. This Sunday, I'm going to have a very special guest on for initial reaction. Hacks Dogma, baby. 
Westworld fans recognize him and go check out his YouTube channel. He's doing uh, Watchmen stuff now, and we're gonna just we're probably just gonna talk straight up theories for a half hour or so after Sunday's episode, and then Aaron and I will be back on Wednesday. A hustle. I'll let you take us out. Hope you all have a great week ahead and look forward to the fourth episode of Watchmen Baby on Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. Peace. No peace out for you, Hustler? Peace. <laughs> no, peace <laughs> out, guys. It was fun. <laughs> I don't know. You're waiting for me. Uh, Later. Later.